Hello listeners and welcome back to another episode of Second Take Cinema. Today we are doing a little film that isn't hugely well known amongst the general populace, um, but is one that certainly has a mixed reception and certainly has a lot of oddity to it. It's going to be a lot of fun to talk about. Uh, starring James Fox and rock star Mick Jagger, we're giving a second take to 1970s performance. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Today we are reviewing 1970s Performance. This is a British crime drama film written and directed by Donald Camel and Nicholas Rogue. Uh, well, it was written by Camel and cinematography by Rogue as well. Uh, it stars Mick Jagger of the Rolling Stones, produced by Sanford Lieberson. Uh, it also featured Anita Pallenberg, who at the time was the real-life girlfriend or wife? Girlfriend. Girlfriend of Keith Richards. Yep. Uh, in fact, there was a bit of uh, to-do there, which we'll get into later. Yes. Um, this is technically a Warner Brothers movie, although it was actually an indie film made for the low price of only £750,000. Wow. Not even breaking a million on this. Um, produced in 1968, but not released until 1970, because it turned out Warner Brothers were basically duped, uh, and this was <laughs> not the film they thought they were getting. They, oh. Yeah, they thought they were getting a Rolling Stones equivalent to The Beatles' A Hard Day's Night. Right. And instead, they got this which is not that but we'll get into that shortly uh the film is very well regarded today it sort of had a critical reevaluation. yeah uh, uh in 1999 it was voted the 48th greatest british film of of the 20th century by the british film institute and in 2008 empire magazine ranked the film 182nd on its list of the 500 greatest movies of all 182nd that's pretty uh, high. 500 for a, for a film that no one's ever heard of. Yeah. It's, it's fucking high as shit. Well, I wouldn't shit. say no one's ever heard of it. Obviously, I heard of it from someone. Yeah, but you don't count. Um, now, in terms of the <laughs> reception, the, <laughs> the reception is very divided. It received very mixed reviews. Uh, Roger Greenspun of the New York Times wrote that it's not a very good movie, but the personalities of Jagger and Fox are enough to make it kind of all-round fun that in the movie is often tried, but really so well achieved. Variety panned the film for being needless, boring sadism with a dull script and flat performances, whilst Charles Champlin of the Los Angeles Times called it a pretentious and repellent little film that cannot rise above the world it pretends to examine. 
Gene Siskel of the Chicago Tribune gave the film two and a half stars out of four, writing that the first 40 minutes crackle with excitement, but then the pace slows down considerably. The nudity tires and the growing attraction of Fox for Jagger is unprepared for. I think this guy didn't like the gay theme. I think he... Well, it's not that gay. He maybe did, he was. I think he was hoping maybe, for more gay theme. Wait, it sounds like he didn't feel like it was earned. Anyway, well, to be uh, fair, you don't get a lot of their. We'll get to it, but yeah, yeah. I, 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 I can. If he was expecting more homosexuality, then yeah. I can understand that. Yeah. Um, Gary Arnold of the Washington Post wrote that the film was suggestive of Mickey Spillane trying to write like Harold Pinter and that the filmmakers Camel and Rogue had done a fundamentally rotten job regularly upstaging the action and the actors with tricky and often unintelligible sound recording and striking composition. Striking in air quotes. Oddly enough, they may have stumbled into a cult hit. So that dude, that's a, that that's a review from the time. Yeah. That guy, uh, he, he understood it. Richard Schickel of Life magazine described the film as the most disgusting, most completely worthless film I have ever seen since I began reviewing. Well, thank God. Oh, that's God, a very negative Thank review. God that dude wasn't uh, still around when the human centipede came out. <laughs> or Man of Steel. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, in terms of disgusting. Still Man of uh, Steel. <laughs> however, it has had since then a bit of a critical reappraisal right uh, during the late 70s and the 1980s it gradually acquired a cult following and began to be perform uh at certain cinemas like small chain cinemas and things yeah um performance appeared at number 30 in Time Out's all-time greats poll of critics and directors um after camel's death in 1996 the film's reputation continued to grow further and is often cited as a classic of british cinema quentin tarantino showed the film one time and described james fox's performance as one of the best british gangster portrayals of all time you did mention near the start there's a shot where you just re- like that for some reason up close and personal in the frame is someone's foot and you made the joke you went oh this could tarantino be this, is, this, this, yeah this is a tarantino film 30 years or uh, 20 yeah. years before tarantino and yeah. then he showed it off he obviously liked the foot in it Jamie. yeah uh, performance holds an 82% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes with a weighted average of 8 out of 10. The site's consensus reads, performance is an exuberant and grimy ode to the sexual revolution, evoking cultural upheaval and identity crisis with rock and roll verve and a beguiling turn by Mick Jagger. Beguiling. Beguiling. That's an interesting use of the yeah. word. Yeah. So as you can hear, audience, that's a very divisive film. And we're mm. going to be talking about it in just a second. But first, we've got this week's installment, or this episode's installment, of our little quiz show thing that we've been doing. Where we put uh, Rory's... I always called you Mickey for some reason. You can call me Mickey if you want. Mickey. Uh, we're going to put his knowledge there, boy? to huh? the test. <laughs> hey, uh, Mickey's public domain now. Technically, technically, well, the only steamboat Willie is, but yeah. you can see my steamboat Willie if you want. And let's move on. <laughs> okay, so this week's quiz. Given that this film features an appearance by Mr. Mick Jagger. Ah, oh, good. Okay, here we go. Here are ten mm. movies with rock stars in them. Oh, not just Mick Jagger? No, not Mick Jagger. 
10 right. movies with rock stars in them. I'm going to give you some hints, mm-hmm. and you've got to guess them. I decided to start this off real easy. Number 10, and the only hint I'm going to give you, what's the first one I would go to? It's the When people think rock stars in films, they always think this guy. It's only a small appearance. It's in a comedy Alice film. Cooper? Of course I would go with it. Alice Cooper in? The Coupettes. Oh, come on. You know what film he's in. No, I don't. Yes, you do. Halloween 5? No. Wayne's World. I haven't seen it in years. Yeah, but you know that we're There's in loads that of people worthy. in Wayne's World. Okay. Yeah, but that's the famous appearance. Oh, I thought that was... Oh, no, I'm confusing that with Bill and Ted where they like um, Van, Hel- uh, Van Halen. Oh, Van Halen. Yeah. Okay. No, he's not in the film. They just, they just know that the band can't get going until they have Van Halen on guitar. Oh. But they need Van Halen on guitar to get the band going. Right. So they end up in this catch-22 of... Sort of like trying to make an indie film, basically. <laughs> you yeah. need money to get a celebrity attached, but you need a celebrity attached to get the funding. That's the one. Okay, this next one is the hardest one on the list. So I won't blame you if you don't get this one, because I have never heard of the film. Right. I've only heard of the rock star, and even I, like, the rock star is not popular. So I'm going to, this one I'll give you some quite easy hints on. Right. This rock star was underappreciated in their time. They're dead now. Their most famous song is Werewolves of London. Right. And the film they were in was made by Dwight Yoakam. And it's a direction down from a celestial body and to the left of a certain place where you might burn for eternity those are as you can tell i haven't i've thought of the answers to the quizzes i haven't actually thought out which hints i'm giving you right so th- this one's actually I might, maybe i shouldn't have included this one but i, I really it's like this down rock star. From a, so i really like this rock star and i wanted to give him a chance to be spoken to about <laughs> you're not hell is in the title right is it the guy from 20 seconds to mars no, way older, way older. Oh, okay. This guy died in 2003. Yeah, but I was hoping this guy had died in Yeah, no. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> uh, he's an amazing singer. Like I said, Werewolves of London. He did um, Lawyers, Guns and Money, Roland the Headless Thompson Gunner. He has, I tell you one, mm. distinct honour he has. Even Is though this he the guy that you really like who everyone was influenced by but almost no one has ever heard of? Yes. Yeah, I'm not going to remember his name. <laughs> uh, proving you don't listen when I talk. I'm, I'm, I've only got I so much. I listen when you talk. Do you? Do you know what I remember? The, I remember, I mean, you tell me about um, Super Mario Peach no Hime. Why would I remember that? Hmm? That's irrelevant to my life, but I remember it. It's relevant because it's VGMP. It's not. It's not. Well, we're doing it. So. Right, so it's Warren Zevon. That's it, Warren mm. Zevon. And here's See? a fun little fact about one. Warren Zevon. Did you know Warren Zevon, despite being relatively not well known is the only musician uh, the only celebrity in history who was honoured with being the only guest on an episode of David Letterman so usually talk shows have multiple guests don't they yeah they did an episode where they dedicated the entire episode just to Warren Zevon when he found out he was dying isn't this Fear Fear Loathing in Las Vegas no that was Warren Zevon wasn't it no that's Hunter S. Thompson Shit. Um, you probably haven't heard of the film, so I'm just going to repeat the hint one more time. If you can't get it, we'll move on. So down from a celestial place, and left of a place where you might burn for eternity. 
I think I'm being smart, but I'm probably not. The audience are sat at home right now being like, this is awful. Yeah. What is this? Move on. Yeah. Um, moon to the left of hell. <laughs> South of heaven, west of hell. I've never heard of that film before in my life. No, neither had I, but I want to see it now. Okay. Okay, we're on to more well-known films and more well-known bands now. <laughs> so this... So the rock star in question has been in multiple films, mm. usually as small roles. I think this might actually be the biggest role they've ever had in anything. Right. They are... A, I'll be honest, I don't know if they're the bassist or the guitarist of the band that they're in, but they're one of those two. Is this Runaway? What's Runaway? The film Runaway. I've not seen Runaway. I'm guessing it's not on your list then. No. Okay. Runaway. Runaway is a film with Tom Selleck in the lead. It's a cyberpunk-ish film. Mm. Uh, I've got it on Blu-ray. It's... eh. Uh, But yeah, basically, Tom Selleck versus the guy from Kiss with the really long tongue. Gene Simmons. That's it. Gene Simmons is the villain. And I I was hoping for more moustache versus tongue action, but unfortunately that never happens. Uh Um, and I don't mean kissing, but as far as that that moustache right off your face, (laughs) right now. So this this rock star is a they're either the guitarist or the bassist Mm. in a band that loves to do songs with the word California in the title. And the film is a relatively new film, only came out last year or the year before. Right. It's directed by Damien Chazelle. It's three goddamn hours long, and stars Margot Robbie and Brad Pitt. Not along, Stand By Me, what's it called? Along with Tobey Maguire, and it's about Golden Age Hollywood. Do you know the film or the rock star? No. Either or. Not got a clue. It's Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers in the movie Babylon. Right. Uh, okay, next, question seven. This is a glam rock, horror rock band. Okay. The only rock band, as far as I'm aware, to win the Eurovision Song Contest. That will give it away for you. Right. And it's... uh, So it's Lordy. It's Lordy of the Rockstars. Right. And it's the name of the second movie they did. So they did a short film, which is in Finnish. But then they did a film in English, which at the time, I don't know if it still is, was one of the most expensive movies Finland had ever made. Jeez. And I've got it on DVD. But I realise my DVD shelf is obscured from your vantage point. Yeah. Which is probably useful because otherwise I'd be cheating by looking at it right now. <laughs> Which I'm looking at it right now. I have told you the um, name before. You have. Um, I think actually, based on the alphabet, I think it's behind the Nightmare on Elm Street poster actually. Right. It begins with a D. I'll give you a clue. It begins with a D. I'm going to be honest, I'm not going to be able to get this one. Uh, so I'm going to go with Finish the Diamond Standard. <laughs> <laughs> it's Dark Floors. Oh. Okay. Uh, next up, number six, is a very, very classic rock band. One of the first rock bands, really. Okay. Uh, one of the most famous, although personally I've never quite seen the appeal. And it is their most famous film that they did. It's the film that they thought they were getting when they made performance. Come on, I've given you this one already. Okay, so it's The Beatles. Yeah, and what was the film called? Last House on the Left. No, uh... <laughs> <laughs> very different movie. Yeah. You did just say this one. And it's annoying that it's just, it's literally flown out of my head. We're learning a lot today, Rory, about how little you listen to me. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Um, oh, I did look up the Beatles films because we were going to do a podcast at one point about musical films, and it, that's never come out. But um, oh, now all I've got is Yellow Submarine in my head, and I know I ain't that one. Um, 
It's in black and white, if that helps. Yeah, no, that doesn't help. It's, I, I know what the title is, but I can't remember it. So A I'm Hard gonna... Day's Night. That's the one. That's number, the one. Number five, glam rock band you just mentioned, one of them a minute ago. Yes. And their film has got their name in the title. I'll give yes. you a clue. It's Kiss Meets. Kiss Meets. Does it have thunder in the title somewhere? No. no? It sounds awful. Yeah. <laughs> I've got it. I've, I actually have this Because I remember The Simpsons, I think, mocked it, where they had Kiss in like prehistoric times. Like, I'm going to uh, defeat this pterodactyl. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, sugar. Kiss Meets. The Evil Dead. Um, kiss, kiss Meets Satan? No, no, it's Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. Oh, Jesus Christ, <laughs> that's a terrible title. Okay, we're into the top four now, and these are all easier ones, I think, because these are much more well-known movies. Sure. Um, so up first, this is a very famous cult stage musical that then got turned into a film. Rocky Horror Picture Show? Well done. <laughs> <laughs> and this is uh, Joe. I'm not even going to give you a hint. Do you know who the singer Meatloaf. is? It's Meatloaf. Well yeah. done. You got one. I want to just tick that. <laughs> Hang on. I got a point. <laughs> you, you got Wayne's World and Alice Cooper. No, you didn't get. Wayne. I didn't get Wayne's World. I could get Alice Cooper. I might make this one too hard. <laughs> They're not all this hard. I promise. Okay. <laughs> the next one is only a cameo appearance. Very small. They've got maybe two lines. Okay. It's in a film we covered on STC already. All right. It's a comedy, a very popular 90s gross-out comedy. American Pie? Yeah. And do you remember which band were in it? Do you remember which bit they're at? Blink-182? It is Blink-182. Well yeah. done. But no, I don't remember the bit they're in. <laughs> they watch, they're one of the crowd that watched the video of him where he prematurely uh, ejaculates. Yes, and yes, they've got say. the pet monkey that covers its eyes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, the next two are very famous cases of rock stars being in. Tom in, Cruise, obviously. No. Rock of so the next one is a film that has been remade recently, but the rock star was in the original version. Right. It was directed by David Lynch, based on a book that is supposed to be unfilmable. And um, the singer... Well, the singer was the part of the plot in a Friends episode at one point. Um, for some reason, I'm, stu- I'm, I'm literally lapsing on Hootie and the Blowfish. And <laughs> yeah, the Blowfish. The Blowfish. Um, it's-, <laughs> it's a film that involves giant worms, and it stars Kyle MacLachlan, the original one does. Is it Dune? Dune, yes. Dune is the film. Which rock star is in Dune? Oh, shit. Yeah, go on. You can picture him. He's, he's- Sting. Sting. It is Sting. I'm going to give you that. It was in the police. You couldn't go with the police. I was trying to come up with a pun where I could use the word police. Yeah. But I couldn't think how I could associate police with Dune. Who why, why couldn't you be in Robocop, Sting? <laughs> okay, last one. This one is incredibly famous. So this is another rock star who unfortunately is dead. I'm sure this is the film I'm thinking of. He's got a very noticeable cod piece on. He's a British rock star, if it helps. Only died a few years ago. A sort of... 2016-ish, I think. 2016-2017. Two of his songs inspired titles of British police dramas. And big hair. Big 80s backcombed hair. And it was in the 80s, the film? I think so. I'm 90% sure it's in the 80s. Is it Boy George? No. Elton? No. He's still alive, actually, in the Elton. <laughs> 
Um, Elton John, yeah, Elton yeah. John's still alive. Boy George is still alive. Is he? I thought he'd... oh, it's he George was on Michael. A... I'm thinking of George Michael's yeah. dead. <laughs> Can't help it. Bit different. Boy George and George Michael. They're both called George. <laughs> I thought the Asda shop had died last week. Okay, I'll give you one more hint. His son is a film director, and he made a film you love. So it's David Bowie. David Bowie in. It's a very famous performance. Well, it's Labyrinth. Labyrinth. Well I haven't done. seen Labyrinth. No, neither have I, but I know he's in it. And I know yeah. he has a cod piece. Oh, yeah, well, the cod piece threw me off. I'm sure he's got a cod piece. Gonna... See, like, I've seen quite a few of David Bowie's performances. Like, you could have gone with something from Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. That's on our list for STC. I've seen Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. Anyway, that's a few... Uh... I might need to get a bit stricter on the rules of these, to be fair. But this is a new thing that we only dreamt yeah. up last night, so... No, fair enough. Anyway... In a drunken stupor. Yes. Anyway, that is the end of our little game show. It's now time to talk about the film, and we'll do that right after these commercials. Okay, so we're back from our ad break. <coughs> Where would you like to begin with this madcap film? Mm. I think we should start with some positives. Well, sh- sh- because it's not a very well-known film, should we give a brief description of the yeah. plot? Okay. Such as we can. Yeah, so... so Lawrence Fox plays Chaz. Yes. And he Not Chaz is... and Dave. No. Just Chaz. And he is like an enforcer for a gangster called Harry Flowers, isn't he? Yes. And he loves his job, and he's good at his job, and yeah. he likes cracking some skulls, son. Yeah, this he goes is... in, he goes, what do you think this is, this caper? You think you can keep on doing this caper? And he, he's got that sort of a voice. If, if there was a modern remake of this film, he'd be played by Jason Statham. Yes. Or if uh, they made it 12 years later, roughly, it would be Harry, um, Harry Kane. What's his name? Um, Michael Kane. Michael Kane. You toilet. You fucking toilet. Michael Kane would have been around around this time. That's true enough, Michael actually. Michael Italian job was the early 60s. Yeah, but then he didn't get famous till after Zulu, which I think was 61? Yeah, this is 68. Oh, shit, it was, yeah. Yeah, this could have been oh, yeah, Michael Caine. Oh, yeah, was 67. Yeah. Yeah, this no, could have been enough. Michael Caine. Anyway. Anyway. Um, he's good at what he does. He loves it. This is, remember we were doing these voices in T-Ron? Yeah, T-Ron. GMP. And, and, and well, this, this is, is the film suck, we should have been doing. Yeah, this is the film we should have been doing them on. He run um, a big suck. And so Harry Flowers is going to take over this betting shop and it's owned by a guy called Maddox. And Chaz is like, yeah, I'll go over there. I'll crack his skull, etc., etc." But he's got some sort of history. Now, I don't know if I missed it because we're going to talk in a minute about how weird the opening sort of 20 minutes of this film are. Yeah. Um, but he has some sort of history with Maddox. I don't think that's... I, I certainly missed if that was ever explained. It's not really explicit. It's just stated. Well, I think they stated he went to school with him or something like oh, that. Okay. But it's it's really vague. It's not like, yeah. oh, there's never a point during the cracking heads bit where it's like, come on, man, we went to school together. You know, can't yeah. you just give me a bit more? That never happens. It's only mentioned yeah. every now and then. It was like, you can't do this, Chaz, because yeah. you know Maddox from way back. And he's like, oh, I don't care. I'll go and I'll crack his head anyway. Yeah. And then it's forgotten for the yeah. rest of the film. So Harry does a whole, you know, don't shit where you eat type speech. Sure. And tells him not to do anything. But Chaz doesn't listen. He goes and cracks some skulls anyway. And this pisses Harry off enough. Well, first of all, Maddox's blokes strike back. Yep. And in that process, Chaz ends up shooting and killing one of them. Yes. And Harry decides to get revenge. So Chaz goes on the run and ends up, via some circumstances, renting a room in a 
basically a rundown mansion. Yeah, he's looking to run away, isn't he? But um, as he's trying to find a safe way out of London, obviously East End London gangsters at this time were quite prolific. Um, he overhears uh, a black musician talking about the fact that he'd just been in a particular uh, rundown sort of East London locale yeah. uh, in an, a, a basement room with this very bohemian guy. That Hippie wasn't a, a term former rock yet, star. But yeah, but it's it's more... Almost it? a commune. Beatnik. Yeah. It was more bohemian and beatnik was kind of the yeah. words used. So it's sort of pre-hippie. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, he's like he was. He's talking to this woman about how he was living there. She seemed very disdainful of it. But he's like, no, no, it's sort of free love and all this stuff. So he basically overhears the conversation and decides that's a better place to hide yeah. than with someone who knows him. So he dyes his hair red and lies that he's a juggler. Yeah, which and... is he mixes toothpaste and red paint. Yeah, and he looks like Max Headroom. Yeah, he twenty does a years bit, before he? Max Headroom. And he goes there, and the rock star is played by Mick Jagger. Yeah, Meta. Um, and from there, the film basically, the plot essentially stops, to be honest, and just kind of becomes this strange character exploration between these two men who are, in theory, from completely opposing worlds. You know, one's an artist, he's a musician, very free life, and the other guy is from this, you know, violent criminal underworld. Much, And it's kind of like a left and right isn't yeah, it? well, he literally calls him the left, doesn't he? Yeah. And he, even though he's the criminal, he looks down on the lifestyle that yeah. Jagger leads. What Jagger's doing is legal. It's mm. just what he considers disgusting. Not right, yeah. yeah. And as the film goes on, they sort of pull each other towards each other a little bit. And yeah, then... Mick Jagger kind of corrupts him, but... But he corrupts Jagger a little bit as well, I think. Yeah, yeah. Because Jagger, it turns out over the course of the film that Jagger, as an artist, the reason he sort of disappeared is because he uh, he lost what, like, they, they were talking he about inner demons. demons. So he lost his demon, and I think that's yeah. what he's attracted yeah. to. Which is something I've seen, Chaz. It's, it's something I've seen explored a few times. Mm. And there is an argument to be made that it's true, which is. A lot of creative people are are broken. They're, they're haunted depression in some and artistry way. tend to go hand in hand, yeah. don't they? Depression, obsession, all sorts of mental disorders. Yeah, addiction. Yep. And I have heard it said, and I've seen it explored in things before. When they get healthy, they can't create anymore. Yeah, all the creativity becomes stagnant and you do see a thing and it's a shame we haven't got kirk with us today because kirk loves talking about stuff like this Mm. a lot of film directors for example who while they're young and struggling are coming up with loads of creative stuff and that they're the films that go on to become hallmarks of their career yeah once they become wealthy and comfortable the films don't necessarily become bad they just lose something yeah the example he uses a lot is John Carpenter. Oh, okay. Um, I'm not saying that's true. And, and I'm that's not saying, the example he was using. And I'm not saying that artists have to be broken and, and well, yeah. damaged and things like that. I'm just saying that's an interesting 
idea. It's potentially so. It's potentially true. Yeah. I think it's probably not true for everyone. Like, for example, somebody might say it of, say, Spielberg. Mm. But during the 80s, Spielberg was very comfortable, but he was still ma- making massive blockbusters. Yes. Um, so it's not a case of the comfort made Spielberg bad. Mm. You know, like, he was still very comfortable while still making blockbusters. Yeah. Whereas other people, it does happen with. Like, they get to a certain point. And it feels like they've lost whatever the challenge was. I think sometimes budget becomes part of that. You know, they get to a certain point where it's like, well, we could just give you anything. You like, just pay. I think George Lucas mm. may have had this. Like, when he started in the first Star Wars trilogy, uh, certainly with the first and the second one, he had a lot of oversight mm. because he was relatively new. Yeah. But when they came to make Phantom Menace in the prequel trilogy, Obviously, he was well-established. His fame was, you know, the money he'd made was spoke for itself. Well, we're not going to overwrite anything George Lucas says. You know, he's George bloody Lucas. And it turned out that by not doing that, there was no, there was nobody to ensure that the scripts and the direction and... There was no one around to stop Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> yeah, there was no one to help him, put, like, pull it back or, or maybe reimagine, like, if the Jar Jar Binks thing would have worked, that it would have worked a different way. Yeah. Why did it have to be so over the top? Yeah. But it's not just Jar Jar Binks. It's to, to do with story progression. Oh, yeah, how, yeah. Phantom Menace is a garbage movie. Well, there's bits of it I like, but not, neither here nor there. The point is, is it's clearly someone who's been let off the leash with an infinite budget. Yeah, he's sort of surrounded by yes men. Yeah. So he he didn't need he, he didn't need to reimagine or work within limitation. Yeah. So performance. So yes. let's talk about the first 20 minutes first because they're weird. They're edited very weirdly and it's I'm very frenetic. The very first... frenetic to a point where you can't follow what's happening. It's quite different. I'm fairly certain that the first 20 minutes are shown out of order. Because having yeah. then read the plot and all that stuff about Maddox and that sort of stuff, I'm sure that didn't happen in that order. No, it, it jumps back and forth quite a bit. Um, I think what doesn't help is the manic tone. Oh, it's of got it. such a manic tone, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, so like, you, really you don't get out... five seconds to breathe. Yeah, the shots just cut together mid-sentence. There's... Um, this awful sound effect that they use a lot in the first ten minutes or so, yeah, like mostly during the courtroom crackling, yeah, yeah, which oh, it's I horrible. thought was supposed to show some sort of disorientation. But it I doesn't... thought that was going to be Chaz in court. Yeah, but it ends up it's not Chaz who's in court; it's some other character. Yeah, who he's coming to threaten. Yeah, and he threatens the lawyer as well. Yeah, but it's like, well, so what? What's who? Who's off kilter? Who's you know, and the the cinematography doesn't match the sound. No, like if the you you'd think you'd imagine when you've got this sort of piercing growing in the sound stage, that the screen would be going Dutch or something else or you'd would be, be wobbling or, you'd or be like uncomfortably close. We are in a standard head and shoulders mid yeah. mid close up, aren't we? Yeah, it's there's there's a a separation between audio and visual. Yeah. Now I do wonder if some of that may be down to the fact that. The uh, the sound, the what people. So we haven't actually discussed where this film came from yet, mm. like in terms of being added to our list. Uh, but oh, of course we haven't. Sorry. No. Um, but it, so I'll, I'll add that in here because I think it's relevant to what I'm about to say. My dad showed me this film. Uh, my dad was uh, a hippie during the seventies, and I don't know when he came upon this film. Whether he came upon it when it was released in 1970 or if it was later. later but he has a he likes this film he really likes this film 
He loves the fact that it speaks about the free love element that the hippie movement of the 70s came to be about. Um, he loves the fact that it discusses sort of humanist, not humanist themes per se, but like more open, I don't want to repeat free love, but like sort of that more open relationship vibe. Flexibility and fluidity. Yeah, um, which wasn't discussed really in the 70s. Uh, a Definitely lot of, not in Britain. No, and not, not in cinema and certainly not in British cinema. Um, but this film broke the mould because it came from rock stars and people who had the ability to go, well, so yeah, I'll make what I want. And certainly because of in America in the 70s, you had the laws that were established by people like John Wayne, where left-wing productions couldn't be funded and couldn't be made. Sure so, it was the seven, wasn't that before then? It was 60s and 70s. Wasn't it the McCarthy era, which is the 50s? It, it, it bled over. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I, I know that there was a certain point where they just went, we're not doing this shit. I think it held a lot until John the, Wayne died. Right, because I, I know the main bulk of the McCarthy, like the blacklisting in Hollywood. A lot that of that was ended, 50s. That ended mm. in 1961. Spartacus is the film that's credited with breaking that. Yeah, but a lot of filmmakers still didn't do it, and a, a lot of films wouldn't get funded without the, the nod of approval well, from fun, John Wayne. Fun fact mentioning McCarthyism, the word communist is thrown around as an insult near the start of this. Did you pick up on that? Yeah, I did, What yeah. do you think I am, some sort of communist? Yeah, which is very... What's funny is there's a lot of things about this that are dated visually, etc., but actually a lot of the terminology has come back round. Mm. Um, so what... And I'll get back to that in a sec. So my, my dad really loved the sort of free nature of the film and what it was discussing with this sort of right-wing hard man being forced to face this left-wing free love element. I'll be honest, when I first watched it, I laughed. Right. Not at the free love element, but just because I'm, a, I'll be honest, I, I find sex in films a little bit embarrassing. This um, literally opens with a sex It literally scene. opens with people gyrating into each other. Um, at least it's not as bad as something like In the Room where he's fucking a belly button, but it's... <laughs> it or is, showgirls. No. <laughs> in the pool. Yeah, oh, God. <laughs> but yeah, it, so at least they're getting it in the right place. But at the same time, there's a lot of it throughout the film. Yes. Um, and... Homosexuality is only really touched upon visually by the two girls, but there is there is the suggestion of a more male homosexual connection between Mick Jagger and Chaz. Um, so yeah, th those elements of it were were what my <sighs> when I watched it, I found it. I, I hmm. let me try and find the right words. So when I watched it, I found the sex scenes a little bit embarrassing, but that's my own issue. That's not an issue with the film. Watching it again in a more mature mind, um, I was more paying attention to everything else. There is an interest in how the language has been sort of rejigged. You mentioned the communist thing at the beginning, but during the free love descriptions later in the film, we get... Uh, there's a point where one of the girls, uh, the blonde-haired girl, is trying to sort of have sex with a very off-his-not-mushroom-headed um, Chaz. 
And he's just like, no, no, I'm not into that. And she's like talking about whether or not he might be interested in Mick Jagger in a yeah. sort of more sexual way. And he's like, no, no, I'm a bloke. I'm a bloke. Yeah. She's like, oh, but you know, you might be a, a female bloke. And he's like, no, yeah. no, I'm a he's bloke. Like, what, what are you, you talking mean? about? And she's describing Mick Jagger. She goes, I mean, she goes, he's a man. He's a man who's a woman and a man. Yeah. And you're like, you're like, oh, that's interesting. Because actually, if this was made today, we have words for that now. Yeah. That back- we didn't have back then. Absolutely. And this is something that sometimes when I talk to my dad about, um, like when when trans issues come up on TV or something like that, we have a discussion about it. He says we didn't used to have we didn't used to have to label these things. They just yeah. were. Well, performance is kind of a proof of the pudding yeah. of that. And, I, and to be honest, I kind of get that. Like I've always been like. I, I, Obviously, I'm not transgender, and therefore, it is not my place. No, no, I'm not speaking about like transgender that. people. But it's, yeah, I've always thought I don't quite understand why we need labels for, ev- and I don't just mean them; I mean for everything. Yeah, I've I've always been someone who's been a bit like, eh, I just I am what I am, and I do what I do, and it's nobody's business, sort of thing. Sure, um, you and do what's comfortable, and nothing more. Yeah, I mean, I'm a selfish prick. I do what the fuck I want. Uh, <laughs> within reason, of course. Yeah. Um, yes, it, it was interesting. They were not themes that I was expecting. Not from a 1970s film. film. And yeah. to be honest, I'll be honest, not from James Fox. Because mm. J- James Fox, I mean, after this film, quit acting for a little while to become an evangelical Christian preacher. Wow. Uh, he returned to acting in the 80s. He is the father of Lawrence Fox who has made his right-wing views known. Yeah. I believe, I could be I could be committing slander here, but I believe James Fox has made his right-wing views known as well. Right. Um, it is a little odd, then, that he's in this film that Touch mm. Wood seems to be quite open to... I mean, I know he's playing a character who isn't open to them at the start, yeah. but becomes open to these ideas yeah. as the film progresses. It is a very strange film in that sense. Um, I think the... It's definitely a film where we, we, we are fairly convinced, aren't we? Without Again, without creating any kind of slander. We're fairly convinced that there was a bohemian attitude on set as well, aren't we? So we there definitely are several think some pro- drugs were used. There are several productions where drugs are kind of a fueling factor. Easy yeah. Rider, it's well Easy known Rider, that the they... The Trip. Were, the Trip. Um, there was a film, a Japanese film I've got called... Oh, I remember it. Um, oh, don't tell me. Burst City. That's it. Burst City, uh, they spent most of their very small indie budget on just doing drugs. Caligula. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of films where drugs happen across the production, and it does... Uh, usually, it affects the, the look and the, the pacing of a production, because it's clearly been filmed and put together in a druggy way. Yeah. This film has a very similar vibe. Yeah. Uh, we know that... At least one of the actresses has confirmed doing actual drugs. Obviously, there's drugs shown in the film. Heroin with mushrooms as and stuff. well. That's a strong drug. Yeah, that's but, not like oh yeah, I actually smoked some weed on set. Yeah, one which of the, no one would bat an eyelid at really. No, well, they do smoke some weed. That's obviously real weed. Who cares? But yeah, there's a shot where one of the girls injects her ass with a needle. Yeah, and I've never, I've never heard of heroin being injected into the butt cheek. No, before. it's kind of weird, isn't it? Um, but she. She does that, and in some trivia later on, she apparently confirmed that she did real heroin yeah. during that shot. That was Keith Richards' girlfriend. That wasn't was it? Keith Richards' girlfriend, and she uh, because she had just gotten into the drug there at the time, uh, as if that's a fine thing to go into. Don't yeah. do fucking heroin. Yeah, don't like, do fucking of all heroin. the drugs, don't do heroin. Just say <laughs> like, no. Just say no. Stop it. Like the weed <laughs> is fine. The mushrooms 
you know, I, enjoy I, yourself. Yeah, you, you could say that. I disagree. I say that from a, a hippie background. So. Yeah, I, I disagree. I'm, I'm not a big fan of drugs. I'm not a fan of drugs either, but it, like those drugs aren't usually going to kill you. No, Whereas heroin is going to take over your life and destroy you in every way. Yeah. So it is a different stage of drug to the other two. Yes. Um so yeah, I, I would definitely swear off heroin if you're mm-hmm. you know, even if you want to enjoy yourself. Well, there I are really plenty want. there's plenty of other cocktails out there, yeah. folks. Um I mean if I'm honest, what what I really want right now more than anything in the world is crack. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't talking that's about drugs. From, uh, that's from uh <laughs> That's from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Right. Crack cocaine. Yeah. Yeah, crack. Oh, okay. I thought it meant like a sandwich or something. No, I want some crack. <laughs> Imagine a crack cocaine sandwich. There's a bit where um, in Always Sunny, so it's in the season where Matt gets fat and he gets diabetes from being so fat, but he's still just shoving food in his face. And they're like, dude, don't you need to like take this? And he's just like pulling out insulin needles, not measuring the insulin at all. It's like, no, dude, it's like, it's like shoving insulin needles oh, in his stomach whilst he's still just eating this massive, like, foot-long subway that's, like, this high because it's just filled with oh, man. stuff. It's like literally, like, you know the ridiculous size sandwiches like Scooby and Shaggy build? Yeah. It's like one of them. Jesus. He's like, oh, <laughs> must have an unhingeable jaw. Um... <laughs> But yeah, so what I do so want to let's all I'm still on the opening. For no, 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 you, you go ahead. So not only is this frenetic pace, but there's also a couple of times it doesn't do it so much in the later half of the film. It's mostly in the opening where the film will a scene will end. Mm. The film will fade for a split second yes. to another scene and then immediately fade back out to a different scene. There was, and it's yeah. almost as if a scene in the middle has been cut, but not mm. cut well. Yeah, there's a few odd choices on the editing front, actually. Like, outside of the sound itself, which is its own thing, you're right, there are about at least two or three different shots that fade into a scene that then immediately cuts to another scene. Yeah. For no reason, like, and I mean immediately. You're talking yeah, about, like, it's been on... a second. If yeah, that. it's 24 frames max is mm. what you're getting, and then you're cutting. It's, it's a very odd choice. Mm. I wonder if it's because they... But at this point, in order to do a fade, you would need to fade to... You'd actually need to cut the film negative and overlay them perfectly. Yeah. I wonder if they didn't want to ruin... That car shot is a beautiful shot. Mm. Maybe they were like, we don't want to waste it, potentially ruin the car shot so basically, by they, fudging up the fade. Yeah, so they faded why... to a dead piece of yeah. footage and then just do a clean cut to the car shot. That's the only thing that I'm yeah. thinking of. If, if it's a technical issue... Yeah, which means they didn't film enough pre-roll at the start of the car shot. That's right. Because if, if you're going to fade, which they obviously didn't know they were going to do then, mm. um, you always do a little bit extra, don't you? Yeah. So that you've got material to fade over. Yeah, and I, yeah, I, think, you, I think it might be a case of they didn't have enough to fade. Yeah. Um, or the editor was on drugs. <laughs> Or well, the editor was on drugs. <laughs> I mean, like with every everything in this film, the frenetic pace, the the way it's edited together, the sound, uh, everything about like the, the sound is quite. It's very let's say bold to give it uh, to be to be kind. Like yeah. the, you've got that annoying screechy sound several times in the opening. Mm. Thankfully, it doesn't last very long and it doesn't remain throughout the film it's only the intro there's some good music later on if that's the sort of music you're into 
Um, and there's a couple of times where the music and dialogue are fighting each other for the yeah. sound space, and they're very clearly fighting each other for and that sound space. There's some bits where it sounds like the microphone maybe was like too far from the actors and things yeah. like that, because you get that reverb effect that you get when the microphone is... Yeah. When you're in big rooms, which a lot of this is, yeah. and you're away from them. But then these other bits where the sound is great. I mean, the bit at the end where Mick Jagger is singing sounds studio but that, quality that was recorded studio. you can tell it's dubbed yeah so that would have been recorded in studio in professional conditions yeah. whereas some of the other dialogue clearly wasn't um yeah. because it was filmed in well, real life in the scenarios that they're well, at we said didn't we there's a bit um just after he shoots the guy there's a bit where one of the people who survives is fleeing down the street at mm. sort of dusk or dawn that's something else and... we didn't mention that scene where he shoots the guy mm. It looks like they're going to rape him. Yeah, let's get to that in a minute. Right. Um, just, I'll just finish this point about no, natural no, lighting. Uh, he's running down the street and a copper stops him, doesn't he? And the cop's like, hey, you. And again, the microphone's clearly dead far away from the cop. Yeah. Because you could just tell it's got that muffle yeah. to it. But there's no lighting in that scene. No. They are literally using whatever natural light there is in the dawn sunlight. Yeah, and there's Which not is enough. not a lot. <laughs> um, but it... But it, it it's both good and bad. It's bad in the sense that, yeah, it means the image is murky. Yeah, it looks a bit it, shit. It's good in the sense that it's nice for once not to get this bullshit Hollywood thing where they shoot day for night. Like, you can you can always tell. People try and act like you can't tell when day for night's been shot, but you can, I feel. Right. Um, whereas this has an authenticity to it. Okay. Because you're like, yeah, you literally just took a camera out at dawn. I think they just needed at least one key light on the they police did. officer. Yeah, they did. Uh, just to light him. The background could be murky well, as hell. Because of the dark police uniform as well. He kind of just blends into the darkness. Yeah, all you can it? see is a bit of his face. And it's one of those old police uniforms. There's a strap the on the helmet. Hat, yeah. So like the strap covers up part of his face as well. So yeah. he really disappears Proper into the Proper traditional police officer. Yeah. But yeah, so let's talk about that then. So when these guys take revenge on Chaz... Yeah. Um... They, yeah, I mean, it basically looks like they're about to rape him. They push they him forward on the bed. Push they him forward, strip, strip him, him down, down, pull his trousers down. Um, then start lashing him, which I liked the way that this echoed mm. at the start of the film. You saw that, A, they were watching those porn films, weren't they, where a woman was getting yes. whipped. But also at the start when he has sex with that girl. I was disappointed she didn't come back, by the way, because she was gorgeous. When he's finished having sex with her, he stands up and you get this shot of all these scratch marks down his back where the sex has obviously been so good that yeah. she's like been clawing at his back. I like the way that that juxtaposes with him the then wish. getting these lashes on his back. Yeah. And when you see the scars from the lashes once he gets up, I mean, they look brutal. Great makeup work. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it, again, it's another theme that you don't expect to see in an indie British drama yeah. of this time. Um, the fact that there's there's clearly a gay overtone to it, and what was I also found very like not not a decent one, but you know what I'm saying. The other th side of it as well, though, is the guy who's whipping him mm. seems to be the one in charge of the three that's attacking him in yeah. the bedroom. The one at the head of the, like by the guy's face, he gets out like this um, flick knife. Mm. And he goes, shall I cut him a new smile? I think it's cut him a new smile or something like that. Basically, shall I cut his face up? Yeah. And the guy whipping him Put goes, the blade no. in my mouth and did this to myself. <laughs> but the guy with the whip, who's clearly leading the yeah, you know yeah. whole, the guy who's going to get shot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
he sits there and goes, no, I'm not that kind of a guy. We don't do that sort of thing. You know, like, there's a level, but I'll do this. Yes, there's levels of criminality. Yeah, um, which I found very strange. Mm. Um, I don't know. Usually, that makes sense, though. Like, real world, that exists, doesn't it? I suppose there's, if they cut his face, then it's obvious what they've done. There's levels of criminality in the real world, though, yeah. isn't there? Like, they, they have codes that we obviously don't understand. Where it's like, well, I'll do, like, I'll, I'll be a bank robber. But I don't kill anyone, that sort of thing. Yeah. And it, it, I guess it's kind of how they justify it in their mind. It's like, yeah, okay, I know I stole some money, but I ain't kill anyone. But even murderers, because you, you always hear stories, don't you? Yeah. Not, not to get this dark, but you hear stories about like when someone goes to jail for something like involving children. Yeah. All the other criminals will like stab them to death in the shower. Yeah. Now, like, even though I'm a murderer, I wouldn't do that. I would do that to a kid. Yeah, and it's really weird how there's like these degrees of criminality. Mm. Um. So anyway, he he goes on the run, and he ends up with Mick Jagger. Yeah. And I think now's a good time to sort of pause and talk about how there are some very interesting shots in this. Mm. That there's some sequences that feel. I've I've spoken before, on on this show and on Jamie your film taste sucks and I think even on VGMP to be honest because it's one of my biggest bugbears. I don't like when you can feel how pretentious a director is through the film. Yes. As in, you can feel them patting themselves on the back. Yeah, this is a Going, such, oh, I'm such an artist. This blah, is an artsy shot. Only people who are intelligent enough can understand it will understand. Now, a lot of these shots are very nice, like taken in isolation. They're very pretty. Yeah. And that's fine. Sometimes a shot can just be that. It doesn't always have to mean something. Mm. But some of these are just cut in at the most random of times. Yeah. There's a bit where we're suddenly getting like close-ups of everyone's mouths everyone's forehead at one point yeah we get the bit where they're all in the room talking and the guy playing harry flowers is a bad actor like oh he is, he is yeah. smirking the whole way through his performance yeah and the camera basically the camera just as it cuts from shot to shot to shot just progressively darkens until we're in black and white Mm, yes. and, and there doesn't seem to be any reason for yeah, it. Yeah, it kind of it Nothing... loses certain colours, then it gains them, then it loses them, and then it reduces to black and white, and then it overexposes. Yeah. Like, it goes black and white, and then it overexposes, like it's over-contrasting. Yeah. Now, that bit would make more sense once he's drugged up. Yeah, like, those are good effects, mm. but it didn't make sense why they would happen at that moment. Yeah. Um, there's also... An, like, comp... <laughs> I do want to talk about composition because it's one very big positive I have about this film is there are several amazing pieces of composition with one fatal flaw mm. that often the composition is phenomenal, but the use of them is meaningless, mm. which like, as you say, not sometimes a nice shot can just be a nice shot, mm. but when you're cutting between them, there's a shot where there's a scene where uh, Harry flowers is, arguing amongst his men mm. and there's a, a, a shot where he's right in the middle of the frame up front and center he's like a pyramid taking yeah. up most of the space yeah. on one side of him in the in the, the background it, it, well on both sides there's two different of his two men of facing yeah. towards the camera and therefore towards him yeah. and he's talking to them but they're all in agreement and you're like that's a great shot but it would be better used if 
those two henchmen were on either Op- side of an forces, argument yeah. and he's the middle ground that they're trying to convince something like that that would be a really good use of that shot again the shot's very nice but it has no meaning to be there at that point um and there's other times as well like where um Mick Jagger's uh, main room where he you know his bedroom where he's got he has a lot of his sex with the garrows uh, he has a mirrored roof or a mirrored ceiling. Yeah, I liked a lot of the mirror shots. Yeah, they they do some really amazing mirror shots in this. And there's one nearer the end where the camera is sat straight in the middle. I can't quite fully figure out where they placed the camera to get this shot. But you, it's obviously it's at a certain angle where it's facing towards... A, it seems to be facing towards a mirrored wall. But right. I can't figure out if it is a mirrored wall. Um, but... Essentially, it's ref- it's the whole room is reflected on the horizontal axis. So the the join of the ceiling must be about halfway down the TV. Yeah, and then it flips, and you get the same angle above and below. But yeah. like, is that where the two naked bodies are laying on the floor? No, but that that's no, no. This is a, an actual whole movement shot when Chaz comes in at one point to talk to. Oh yes, 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 yes. It's a beautiful shot. I don't know what it means at that point because you would think it would be better if they were reflective of each other at that point. I don't think they necessarily are in that shot, um, but that would have been a good way where they're sort of reflective of each other. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I will say this: for the camera work is very arty. Yes. It doesn't always work for the narrative it's telling. It's a little overindulgent at times. Yes, there. I would. I would say that this film does suffer from a certain level of pretension. Yeah, the house that they're in is pretty visually interesting, which is good. Mm. There was a shot I really liked when he first gets there. And he's talking to Ferber. Is it the girlfriend's name? I think so. Yeah. Um, and she's. He's standing at the foot of the bed. He's new to the building. He doesn't know what he's in. She's sort of laid on the bed in nothing but a fur coat. Yeah. She's got sort of one leg up. Yeah, and one leg is bare, isn't it? Yeah. Exposed from the... Um, I think it's like a long jacket thing, isn't it? Yeah, and it's almost like a temptress, like inviting him in. Well, she's sort of stroking thing. roughly uh, around the, the, where the pelvis crotch area. Be, yeah, yeah. <laughs> on uh, the fur on the jacket. But you just like, get this wide right. shot where you could see both of them in frame at the same time, and yes. I really liked that. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of odd lighting choices as well, which is it's nice to see colourful lighting. Yeah, when so he first arrived... there's rooms that are tinged green, there's rooms that are tinged yeah. red, purple, yellow. Yeah, when he first arrives at the basement and she turns the light on, the main room that they're in is sort of this sickly green colour, but then there's like a frosted glass window to, I think, the bathroom, yeah. and it's lit in purple, and you get this lovely... Uh, sort of contrast between those two colours. Um, and the main room Mick Jagger's in is all red. It's painted bright red, isn't it? With the, yeah. you know, with some white decor. Same as the bath. The bath is mostly white on the inside, but it's red on the exterior. Yes. Um, the biggest problem once we're here in this, because this is where the bulk of the film takes place. Yeah, most of So you you have a really... I think that's part of it as well is the pacing. So yeah. that first sort of 20 to 40 minutes is really fast cut, really frenetic, chops where you don't expect it to, really odd camera angles, flipping here, there and everywhere, going all over the show. He arrives at this place and suddenly the pace just decides... It doesn't need to exist anymore. <laughs> yeah, and we are just crawling. Yeah, for point. at least an hour. Yeah. And it... It's not that it's not interesting. Oh, it's very interesting. It's that it's not interesting enough 
to justify its length. I think the intro is too long to get for what really should be a much more simplified plot. You know, a guy is a bit too big for his boots, pisses off the wrong man, and has to go on the run, finds his way into this room. Yeah. You could tell that in 20 minutes easy, yeah. not 40. I think it takes 40 minutes for him to get to the place. Um, just simplify it. You yeah. don't need that many bloody characters in the intro, for Christ's no. sake, because none of them are, are meaningful to the main four in this house. No, no. Same with the child. The child kind of disappears, doesn't it? The he? child does disappear, yeah. but not there at all towards the end. So no. there is. that's another interesting character, actually. There's a, a, a young boy in this house that... It, uh, it doesn't seem to be owned by anyone. No, like, according to Wikipedia, he's a boy who just wanders in and out. Right. So he doesn't even live there. He right. just turns up and hangs out. Yeah, but he he wears a dress. Does he? He I wears didn't... a blue dress. Every I... appearance he's in, he's in a... And including the scene where um, Chaz is in the bath, mm. and he's talking to Chaz while Chaz is in the bath. Yes. This kid must be eight years old, but it's a, it's a, it's a boy in a blue dress. Right. Um, and I found that interesting because I was like, that's like, why is, does he come around because he feels like he can express himself more yeah. or themselves more in a modern context? I'm sure they would be a they, them if this was a modern film. Yeah. But yeah, it, 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 it suggested that there was a young person that was also open to a more free living lifestyle. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know what to make of that as a story angle, though, if I'm being honest. Don't know how comfortable I am with that. No, no, fair enough. But yeah, um, it, 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 it just was an oddity because it wasn't normal for this period of yeah. time for a film to include things like that, let alone around children. Um, so let's talk about the ending. Yes. So it makes no uh, sense. Lo- long story short, <laughs> they uh, Chaz has been making contact with his nephew. Yes. Trying to arrange documents, including a falsified passport, to be able to leave the country and go to America, where he thinks he'll be safe from Harry Flowers and the rest of the gangsters. Yeah. Um, He has, to be honest, most of the second act deals with him trying to get the passport photo. Well, Uh, (laughs) almost all of the story between him and Mick Jagger takes place while he... Basically, he goes, I need a passport photo. So they dress him up and then they give him mushrooms and then they have sex with him. And then they, it's like all of that happens over a passport photo. Um, and it turns out the nephew was rolled on him to the, to the gangsters. Yep. And they turn up at the house to kill him. He goes upstairs to say goodbye to Mick Jagger. And Mick Jagger says, Let me go with you. And Chas says, You don't know where I'm going. Mick Jagger says, Yeah, I do. Chaz goes, yeah, you do, and shoots him in the head. And we then get a 1970s equivalent of the effect in 1991 in Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, where we go into Freddy's brain. Yes. Um, yeah, and... it, goes, it goes into the bullet wound and, like, through meat. Yeah. I don't know how they got that shot. That was an interesting shot. I'm guessing a lot of matte paintings and models. Either that or they put in, like, a, an endoscopic camera into meat that they'd... We then get a scene where, like, the girls hide from the gangsters and we see Chaz from behind. And we should point out he's in a sort of gender-ambiguous costume at this point with, like, a long wig on and stuff. He gets led out to a car where Harry Flowers is waiting for him. We can't see his face at this point. We're only seeing him from behind. Harry Flowers clearly recognises him because he addresses him as Chaz and says, good to see you again. Chaz gets in the car, 
in the house, the gangster finds the dead body of Mick Jagger. Yes. But then we cut back to the outside, and as Harry Flowers' car drives away, Chaz, in air quotes, turns to the camera, and that is also Mick Jagger. Yes, so it's like they've swapped. But they haven't, because we've seen him in the closet as well. Yeah. So what... What's the interpretation here? I have no idea. I'm guessing there's a few different... um, Maybe that's the open nature of it. You can choose whether or not he did a swap and it's Mick Jagger in the car. I think it's supposed to be that Chaz... Or he's become Mick Jagger. Yeah, I think think it's metaphorical. I don't think it's literal Mm. because Harry Flowers recognised him. I think it's supposed to be that basically in his last few days of life, Chaz has let go of all the weird uptight right-wing criminal underground things he had and has become just like Mick Jagger, this sort of free-loving bohemian... And so he's going to die as a bohemian rather than as the man he was. Yeah, I'm not going to lie, it's pretty stupid. It's a stupid ending. It kind of ruins the film a little bit. By the way, um, so endoscopes... This is what it turns out they were invented in like 1912. 1806. 1806? Yep, and then... Not the way we know them today, they were. No, 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 and then fibre optic came about during the 1950s. Wow. So, yeah. They, Earlier than I expected. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, it could have been endoscopes. I, I don't know if it would have been. It's probably more to do... More <laughs> imagine imagine watching this film but... like, hey, that's my colon on screen. <laughs> <laughs> I recognise um, that anywhere. Talking about some odd shot choices, there's one other one I want to mention, just because I've not seen it in another film. And it's not done for any particularly great reason in this, but I just found it very odd when it happened. We were both like, hang on, what the... F- that's it, it because it's more of what they do in video games mm. at the start of a level. Um, there's a shot where the camera is moving around the kitchen. You've got Mick Jagger talking to um, Chaz oh, when it goes through his head. Yeah, it goes round. It goes in like it starts doing this thing where it's zooming right into the back of Mick Jagger's head, and you're like, "What? What are you focusing on this and for? This is weird." Into a POV. Yeah, and then it fades into a per- like first person view from Mick Jagger looking at Chaz while Chaz continues the scene, and I'm like, well, that's like the intro, like the first level of Goldeneye on the dam when the camera goes around the back and goes into his head, and then the gun comes up and you start gaming. It's yeah. like that's a weird shot to do. It makes no odds to the scene. You're not meant to see something more from Jagger's perspective, particularly, mm. which would again have been a much better use of the shot. If you're meant to suddenly change your worldview round yeah. to see things from Jagger's perspective, that's the, when you use a shot like that. Yeah. So it, it, it wasn't necessarily a scene that did that. So it's kind of, it felt wasted, Yeah. but as a shot was very, very good. And I just didn't... We were surprised, both of us, didn't we, when that came up? Yeah. Yeah. We were, yes. It was a very odd choice. Um, Any final thoughts, Rory? Um, Only that, from my first viewing, obviously, I giggled a lot to the sex scenes of this, but actually there was less sex scenes in it than I remembered. Yeah. Um, There was still quite a bit of... Like, there's a lot of nudity... It's not for the faint of heart if you're very <laughs> if you're not into seeing nudity on TV. So while there's not as much sex in it as I remembered, um, the story doesn't. There wasn't as much story to compensate for the lack of it as a sort of sexy film. Mm. It also didn't. I, I don't feel like I would watch this again, except maybe to take stills of certain shots that I would find interesting. Um, Actually, you know what would be a good comparison in terms of interesting shots 
would be this and um, Nowhere to Hide. Yeah. Nowhere to Hide had a lot of really interesting shots. Um, but I feel Nowhere to Hide is a more interesting movie to rewatch compared to this. Unless you're into sort of more, let's say, queer-focused or open love-focused film. Yeah. In which case, this obviously is... This is a very odd one. I don't... Because, again, I don't think it's necessarily an enjoyable film in terms of, you know, I'd advise anyone go out and see this film. It's not a, you know, it's not a blockbuster in that sense. But as a cult thing, if you're into sort of looking at the like the origins of queer culture, maybe, there might be some intrigue there. Okay. Um... Or just as a historical piece to that, because it is a, it is an oddity. You and I were both like, "Hang on, what they're talking about this?" Like, yeah, it definitely is an it's an unusual film. Mm. It, I think it earns Nothing its place take in a, that away from it. Yeah, I think it earns its place in a cult sense. Yeah. Um, but whether or not that's enough to sustain it, I don't think it is. No, um, no, it's, it's not. It's not a terribly interesting watch. Unless you're into looking at visuals. Yeah. If you like visuals, it's worth a watch, but you would need to reinterpret those shots in a way that makes sense for your narrative. Mm. If you're a filmmaker. Yeah. But it's it was worth watching. It was, it was worth watching this mm. time. Yeah. Um, I, like you said, I don't think it will be anything I'll probably be in a rush to watch anytime soon. Again. Yeah. Um, I think you have to be in a particular mood for it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Okay, well, I think that's all there is to say. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. If you enjoyed the show, please do subscribe. We're on Spotify, ACAP, uh, we're on Spotify, uh, Apple, Podbean, Amazon, all the big podcasting networks. Um, if you give us a subscribe, and if you could possibly please consider liking and sharing with your friends, that would be amazing as well. Uh, if you're interested in hearing more movie talk from Rory and myself, you could also check out our sister show, VGMP, the yeah. video game movie podcast, which recently began or is about to begin. We talk about uh, more artistic films. It's fifth season. <laughs> uh, this is where we talk about movies that are adapted from video games because most of them are famously terrible. But we try to find the few hidden gems amongst the rough, the diamonds in the rough, yeah. if you will. And let's be honest, they're the next big thing. And if you uh, like art comic films, book movies, to be fair, if you like art films such as performance and things like that, things that have a a little bit more of a meaning you have to search for, use a bit more of your bonds for. Uh, Black Heaven is probably Black a good place Heaven. to start. Oh, one if of the you... best films I saw in twenty twenty three. Yeah, Black Heaven, Fantastic absolutely film. cracker of a film. Yep, loved it. Very surprised um, that it was in yep. a VGMP set. And if you want something different from Impala, then please do check out Haunted, the audio drama. Uh, we are depending on what time this episode releases, which I actually can't remember when this episode's coming out. We are either towards the end of our second season, or we've just finished our second season, and we're working on season. three three this is a full cast audio drama crosses doctor who and the x-files it's that sort of a tone it's like a horror and adventure with a dash of comedy dash of mystery like i said it's a full cast audio drama um recently uh, reached over a million downloads we're very happy very excited and we cannot wait to bring you the third season of the show until next time, ladies and gentlemen, that is all. This is Jamie from the Impala Network signing off. And say goodbye, Rory. Rory from Cyberpunk Studios saying goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs>